0: this is the happiness quotient welcome before we get started have you checked out a course in happiness in this short colorful guide this easy to follow roadmap provides gentle positive suggestions that for thousands of years have been taught by the masters on how to stop chasing happiness in our path toward unlocking the mysteries to life's big questions. It offers some guideposts to contemplate and to put to use in your daily life. Go to patreon.com slash the happiness quotient where you'll find a free PDF download of A Course in Happiness.
1: All of my wisdom came from all the toughest days I never learned a thing being happy I'm Tom Pollard.
0: This is an episode about grit, about life, about death, about the extremes of human endeavor, how far a human being can possibly go when they put 100% of themselves into something. It's about heart. It's also about friendship. This episode is set within the backdrop of the greatest mountain on the planet, Mount Everest, Chomalungma, goddess mother of the world. Today's episode welcomes back my ever-talented friend and expedition partner, Mark Sinnott, in anticipation of the release of his highly anticipated book about our 2019 Everest expedition to find the body of long-lost mountaineer Sandy Irvin. Some of you may recall my first interview with Mark for episode number 42, called The Day Everest Broke, And the genesis of our expedition, which has since been chronicled in a one-hour film by National Geographic and Disney called Lost on Everest, produced by our expedition partner and uber-talented filmmaker and climber Renan Ozturk. Mark's book is called The Third Pole, Mystery, Obsession, and Death on Mount Everest. It's been a long time coming, like waiting for a baby to be born. Given that the true genesis for our 2019 expedition took place in October of 2017 at my Everest presentation in Freiburg, Maine, called Lessons Learned in Pursuit of Everest, which you can hear in episode number 75 of the HQ, Mark's book is nearly four years in the making. That's a long gestation period, twice as long as the African elephant, the rhinoceros. From the looks of it, Mark's book appears to be doing well. Even today, on the eve of its release, there are so many positive reviews coming out. I've read it, so I know it's good. And, well, as a central character in the book, how can I not like that? Apple Books recently listed it as one of the best books of April. And from Amazon, the third poll has been named one of Amazon's best books of April in the history category. The esteemed Kirkus Review's book magazine says of the third poll, A hair raising mountaineering history, a fine tale of adventure and exploration, sure to please any fan of climbing and Everest lore. Susan Casey, author of national bestsellers The Wave and Voices in the Ocean, former editor in chief of O, the Oprah magazine, wrote, the third pole is an elegy of extremes, a white-knuckle tale of obsession and survival. From the archives of London's Royal Geographical Society to a tent battered by howling winds on the edge of the death zone, Mark Sinnott puts it all on the line in his quest to solve Mount Everest's most enduring mystery. And lastly, Mark Adams, author of the critically acclaimed Tip of the Iceberg, and New York Times bestseller Turn Right at Machu Picchu says, A hundred-year-old detective story with a new twist, a high-altitude adventure, the best Everest book I've read since Into Thin Air. its climbing skills take you places few will ever dare to tread, but it's his writing that will keep you turning pages well past bedtime. Before I get to our interview, on April 15th, I want to mention that National Geographic will be doing a Facebook Live event with Mark about the book. Guest host is the uber-talented Peter Gwynn of National Geographic's Overheard podcast. It's going to be an interactive conversation that will focus on Mark's story of climbing Mount Everest, topics from the book that crosses geographic, economic, social, and political lines with a team of dreamers highly trained professional athletes and agents working to keep some of Efra's secrets concealed forever. Well, here it is. Mark is back on the HQ, and instead of sipping martinis by the fire pit, which we did as a backdrop for our interview, which is featured in episode number 42, We join Mark and his wife Hampton for an evening of martinis, regrettably the night before our morning interview in his home office. When I showed up at Mark's house that following morning, we were both a bit foggy-eyed, but we came right to life when I hit record. We talked in-depth about Mark's book and some of the elements within it. I think you will be truly fascinated. Here it is, my April 1st, 2021 interview with climber, New York Times best-selling author and good friend, Mark Sinnott, about his book. You must be pretty excited to actually see this in print it's been a long time coming since the idea was hatched to an actual solid hard covered book in print so tell me about that you must be stoked
2: well the book is called the third pole mystery obsession and death on mount everest i hope that doesn't seem too dramatic but it just seemed to be a very accurate description you know we were playing around with with subtitles and it actually it wasn't even my idea it was someone else an editor who said well you know that's what it's actually about and um i think the obsession being the key word there um of the three but it does uh, it does feel very uh, satisfying and rewarding to be sitting here, holding the the, the hardcover, after you know two and a half years, or I, I guess, since About, the uh, yeah. since the germination of this idea at your talk, at Freiburg Academy, huh, two and right. a half years.
0: I think that was October twenty. 20- 17 17 yeah
2: wow 17 i mean it was that's two, that's a long time ago. oh sorry sorry three and a half years
0: yeah three
3: that's and a, yeah three and a half
2: years so that's a long time but it's not that long i mean it, wade davis put way more effort than that into into the silence so i don't mean that to sound like the most significant thing ever but, but it's a chunk of your life. And while this has been going on, it's been all-consuming. Mm. And mm. it was a year of preparation, a year of intensively writing the book. That started, by the way, up on the screen porch with zero words on zero pages <laughs> and I will never forget that moment of how awful that was Oh man! to start with nothing <laughs> so demoralizing right. and I'm not good at that I, I, I getting started and then a year of rewriting editing crafting and then you know however many months of finalizing the photos and um, working on the maps and the illustrations with uh clay wadman and um fact checking and working Mm. on the um essentially the bibliography and Mm. uh Mm -hmm. and now the final push in these last two weeks to uh to get this thing out into the world that the uh the whole point of doing this is to share a great story with the world with with people who are interested and uh that's why i think it's cool that we're talking about it because Mm. i i don't i don't want to work in a vacuum as a writer i want people Mm -hmm. to to know about my stories and i and i want them to to read them Mm. and and I, and i want them to appreciate them yeah i want i like people who like <laughs> my stories and my writing and yeah, people who don't right. like it you know then whatever yeah. well it, <laughs> they, they can go jump in a lake yeah
0: <laughs> yeah but you're always going to have detractors but the the interesting thing about everest actually is that basically all, every human being every of the 8 billion human beings on the planet basically know what Mount Everest is it, it and and so it, because it's the highest mountain in the world it's like people have this there's some it it their opinion of it represents somehow some this moral purity in in a lot of people and so people are really critical of Everest climbers or, and it, or, I mean, well, let's put it this way. You started with zero words on zero on a blank piece of paper. And how many books have been written about Mount Everest? And so how do you, like, what's the first word? The or when, you know, we, right? <laughs> so you, actually, what is the, fr- the very first, words, first
2: word so. of the well, book? Well, first of all, we're holding it here. I'm going to flip to the end. Don't read The, the last very sentence. last page is well, uh, yeah. So there's an index, uh, that's like about ten pages. But the last page is 429. Wow. So wow. so that 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 was a heavy lift. And let's see, we have the um, the impossible <laughs> climb here in my yep, disorganized office. your first big book, if
0: you will. You did a, do a guidebook before this Okay, this, this is
2: uh, 403. Wow. So even pretty more similar they feel about the same look at that um this is definitely this this was a a much more ambitious undertaking and this was um the biggest project of my life to date Hmm. and and this this book has a lot of history Mm. and so i i'm not a historian by trade but i had to become one yeah to yeah. uh to write this book and i learned a lot mm-hmm. and um and i think in the final analysis i think it's a better story i think it's a a better piece of work than the impossible climb and that was my goal mm-hmm. like a very simple goal and it's something that i've followed my whole life which is to be progressing mm-hmm. and to be on yeah. an upward trajectory, if possible, yeah. just because I feel like that is kind of a basic mandate that we all have as human beings mm-hmm. to evolve yeah. and um, yeah. become better at what we do. I mean, right. if you if you if you can't improve with the passage of time, then you probably aren't trying that hard.
0: That's. It's absolutely spot on. Um, for sure. And, and and you when you think that you've put in the most effort of your life and done your best work, the minute that book there it is on you know, the arm of the couch, now it's in the past. You you are so you poured yourself into this so deeply. I remember getting Well, I still have the entire text thread on my phone. Heaven help me if I ever lose this phone. I'm I'm taking screenshots, going back years from you being in England holding artifacts from the Mallory and Irvin expedition. And you're like, Pollard, you're never going to believe what I'm holding in my hand now like that's like so you weren't satisfied with just reading something as fact you had to go and hold it touch it be there that's going that that says a lot for what this book is it's very thorough what tell me a little bit about going to England and some of the things that you saw there because that's pretty cool this is stuff people would only dream about being able to do
2: well well, the book has this whole um, preamble leading up to us getting to the mountain. And that preamble is you and, and you know, how you inspired me to mm. become obsessed with the story in the same way that you were. I, you know, it's, I corrupted you. It's like you apparently what a, a contagious thing. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I caught it from, from you. Um, looking here at the table of contents, there's a prologue, and then the book is broken into three parts. Part one is called "Paths to Obsession," hmm. and it's five chapters, and that's the that's the preamble, and that's the genesis of 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 the story, and at least my involvement and immersion in it, um, but also the whole detective story because ultimately we were trying to solve a mystery. And and so that's that's what the first third of, of, of the book is about. It's mm-hmm. about the research that I was doing, all the digging, um, and all of that being preparation for um, being on the mountain and yep. doing the best job that we could for this, not to just be you know kind of an academic exercise but a real thing that could possibly um you know have a um change history yeah in, or change like the a, written history of something a, a maybe. positive outcome yeah. you know and yeah. um and so the historical narrative starts in the UK and I've always loved the type of storytelling where the writer immerses themselves into the story, mm-hmm. and and there's no better way to do that than to just go personally to the location mm-hmm. of the most primary sources. And um, believe it or not, with all my travels, you know, and. I've been obsessed with exploring the world and going as many places as I possibly could. I had never been to the UK. Hmm. And I guess one thing that I'll admit that should be obvious to everyone is that everything that I do is just an excuse for me to go and do cool shit. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Oh, I'm going to have to go to England for this? Uh,
0: Okay, see ya. Hasta
2: luego, kids. I, I loved it. Yeah. I love that place. I didn't even know how much I loved it, and um, my family is from England. You know, so. and you
0: discovered that quite happenstance when you were there that you had I'm, some roots yeah, to that.
2: I knew, I knew it, you know, beforehand, but the place resonated in my soul you because so. I have a personal um, connection there. Um, So I went to the Royal Geographical Society to a place called the Foyle Reading Room, where they have all the archives from the early British Everest expeditions. I mean, they have everything. They have all the Antarctic stuff, everything. If you're you know historian and you want to be writing about early exploration of the world then the foil reading room is the place that you would go they have something like a million maps maybe it's two million maps like actual like old hardcover copy you know original editions of maps you know that the british made all over the world um and then i also went to oh and by the way they have all the artifacts yeah that you guys found in 1999 and the amazing thing is you can go in you just walk in off the street you have to pay 10 pounds and it. you're like i want to see mallory's boot and there, amazing. there's going to be some eye rolling like really like you why <laughs> i want to wear <laughs> you it seriously yeah buddy you got to see this shit yeah but <laughs> i was like yes get... i do so
0: they go get george mallory's boot they go and put out it in your hands they
2: go out the back door Incredible. They come back a little bit later, pushing a little cart. They wear these <laughs> special little white gloves, kind of like the stuff that Michael Jackson used to wear, <laughs> so you on don't both so you don't mess it up. Cotton, lily white cotton gloves. Amazing. And then they sort of ceremoniously open these special cardboard boxes that say, you know, fragile, do not disturb, kind of on the on the lid. Amazing. And then they pull they pull this stuff out and you are not allowed to touch it. Got it. But okay, you, so no touch. I asked the guy I'm like, "Can I? Can I touch it?" And he just looked at me. He has the gloves and he and he, <laughs> he didn't say anything, but he was like, "What part of this picture are you not noticing?" See, I'm special. I have training. I have white gloves. You are some random American guy. Yeah. Yeah. Who just showed up here. Yeah. Um so no, you're not trying it you're not trying it on the very first thing i noticed about mallory's boot was that it looked to be exactly my size and that it was in amazingly good shape yeah. i mean you were there you saw it when it was actually on his foot andy
0: politz and i actually took the boot you took the boot yeah. so
2: so that so that's actually really cool too because you you inspired the story you know you 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 planted the seed inside of me i mean and, and you know, you were there mm-hmm. um, when this discovery was made, when Conrad found the body, you know, a, a very important moment in the history of mountaineering. And, and very important in this story. Yeah. And in the uh, ongoing saga of this mystery. And uh, no, pretty no. cool that that boot then eventually made its way all the way from... Twenty-six thousand seven hundred feet on the north face of everest to this little cardboard box and then as a result of the fact that i decided not to blow off your talk as i was thinking that i might (laughs) (laughs) i was looking for an excuse and you and you know what i have blown off a lot of stuff and one thing that people don't know about me probably is that my favorite thing is to sit at home by myself. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's probably why we get along so well. It's like somebody invites you to a party, and if it's like a month out, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And then like the day of it, you're like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to, uh, I can't. I, and then the next, you just hope.
2: Yeah. It's I, not something I'm really proud of because when I, you know, I wouldn't, I don't want other people to be that way. And when I do rally and I go out, I'm mm-hmm. very thankful that I did. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I've been immersed in mountaineering lore now for my whole life, so yeah. it's not my favorite subject anymore really it, I'm more interested personally in um, in sailing and yeah. um, you know sort of other types of exploration um, but anyway if i if I hadn't rallied, actually if you hadn't sort of kicked me in the ass a little bit. I kept pinging you on it, yeah. One of the things you said was you'll be a guest of honor. And I was like, <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I'm like, I have I'm like, hmm. And um and then part of it yeah. was that my it was my night to hang out with my daughter Lila. That's right. And so I thought, yeah. well this will be this will be a cool outing. Oh, a father nice. daughter your outing, <laughs> go over, pick her up at her mom's house. Yeah. hey i mean i don't think she was thrilled at the prospect of what we were going <laughs> to do but she put on a brave face and uh and we went and did it and anyways now i'm off on a tangent yeah, yeah. if it weren't for that yeah um the seed yeah for telling yeah. the story would never have been planted in me and i never would have gone to the royal geographical society and seen that boot mm-hmm. and seen the rope yeah, and seen man. Mallory's pocket knife mm-hmm. and all kinds of other artifacts. Yeah. The little, like, tin of lozenges or whatever it was. The, and meat, the meat lozenges. The meat lozenges. <laughs> and all right, that right. stuff was all in the box, and I saw it all. And as you know, as someone who was there when Mallory was discovered, yeah. it has weight in it. It's one thing to look at the picture in a book, mm-hmm. but to see the boot... Mm-hmm. With your own eyes you you it's like you feel the 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 weight of of George Mallory and mm. also about what happened to him. I can only imagine what it must have been like to actually see the body oh, and my you gosh. did impart yeah. that um, you know in in your talk, and that, by the way, was uh kind of R rated for an 11 year old or 100 year old Lila was it that, was sort of like
0: oh
3: whoa, this I, wasn't yeah.
2: part of the plan <laughs> but uh
0: now, all children under <laughs> 15 close your eyes cuz you're going to see a body she could
2: take it cuz she's on Twitch and TikTok yeah. and yeah you know, kids I mean, are pretty savvy God these knows days. what they're seeing on Ugh. that, you know. So she she kind of shrugged it off. Yeah. Um, but still
0: the, the, the I have a couple of photos in there that are
2: they're 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 uh they hit you kind the, of in in the gut, you know.
0: Um, well, I'm just saying, you know th- this is the interesting thing that I always well I'm not sure if I did that night but I but you know you you even said in the title of your book it's you know the word death is in the title of your book and and you kind of almost get squeamish about that it's like do we have to kind of glorify glorify it or or be you know kind of. I mean, isn't that a word just used to kind of sell books or something like that? But but it's a it's the truth of it. And so when I show a picture of George Mallory, a lot of people are like, "Are you just trying to glorify your experience of seeing this dead guy?" But the truth is, he's this human. I felt the power of this human being who died, who had three children at home, who and I met one of them you know, after the expedition, who was 79 years old. And I said, do you have any memories of your dad? And he said, I think I remember having a snowball fight with him when I was a kid. And I was thinking like, I felt that when I saw Mallory. Like, like this is a guy, it's not just George Mallory, this figure, it's a human being and people mourned his loss. And, and to me, that's, you're, it's a tribute to that because he inspired us to go and we made an agreement that we were going to pay our own way no matter what to do this trip and we we ponied up big money and wired it to china to make sure we were there yes and we fortunately got back that when national geographic signed on but
2: yeah we were committed and and uh you know we we called that a blood pact we did the blood i don't know pact. if that's politically correct nowadays cuz it was but... no blood swapped <laughs> let's just there was there was no other there was there was no blood swapped yeah um i remember the the real moment of the blood pact was after we went and visited Josel. Oh. after we had the biggest night ever with hosel like who knew Hungover. that he was going to bring yeah. out this wine infused with a hallucinogenic herb <laughs> at like one o'clock in the morning and being like oh why don't we finish ourselves off with this and uh of course we were game. Out of the I mean, video and the... anybody you know who had drank as much as we had by that point Oof. would be like okay yeah and, and he's uh,
0: like 80 something at the time
2: then you started talking about how you were going to channel the spirits of Mallory and Irvin to find the bodies. Yeah. I did. And I I, and I I mean, we can all laugh, but you believe in that. I totally and and I did did too at that point. Yeah. And then you also talked about how if we found the camera that you were gonna smuggle it out of China in your ass. (laughs) those damn hallucinogens we like, <laughs> will do it to you every time you're like, okay well, you know i mean someone's got to do it and if you're volunteering i mean the thing's not small <laughs> i didn't
0: want to train for that that was you know how do you actually train to get one of those things in you yeah so
2: but that solved a huge a... <laughs> problem because we were we were definitely worried about how we would it's the why is the How Why is the metal it?
0: detector going off? It's my titanium knee. Yeah, it is hey, not. Can I go a car- through
2: the? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <That>. <laughs>
0: Dude, I couldn't even smuggle into China a bottle of booze. Remember, my bottle smashed at the border, and and my bag was just infused with yes. bourbon or whiskey yeah. or whatever. Are you
2: allowed to swear on podcasts? Uh, you
0: can say whatever you, you want. You can. But yeah. Okay.
2: So we're. <laughs> We're going, through, we're going through customs. We're going into China. It's a rather intimidating thing. Very. The building. They it's, line it's like, you up. It's gothic. It's made out of marble. The ceilings are like 40 feet tall. There's yeah. cameras everywhere. We're walking through the plexiglass. You're, you know, standing in front of me in line with your like fancy leather bag. And I look down and there's just this brown liquid pouring out of it onto these gleaming polished marble floors <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, Hey Tom, I'm like you got a situation going on and you zip open your bag and and then you're like fuck fuck fuck
0: <laughs> All my alcohol is gone. <laughs> that
2: by the way was the ultimate junior varsity move. It was. It Here was. we are going on this expedition to Everest. And you have blown it. And your fancy whatever it was that you had bought at the liquor store in Kathmandu. So it's pouring out. So not only do you not get to drink it, but now you have all these Chinese customs people oh who are like, what is going on over here? Hmm, let's pay special attention to this team. And everybody backs
0: <laughs> away from me and they're like, he's an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah.
2: so nice job. Nice job on that. Oh <laughs> and my then the God. other story, and this isn't in the book jamie very organized perfect himalayan guide kiwi yeah smart jamie mcginnis experienced yeah. lots of ever summits tons and tons of himalayan travel like perhaps more than anyone he's very dedicated so. his entire life to exploring the himalaya he goes through the customs he's in front of me We get out. We're sitting in this little, like, waiting room. He just gets up and walks away and leaves his iPhone sitting, (laughs) whatever it was. His smartphone, he leaves it sitting on the table. So, of course, I pick it up. I slip it into my pocket. I don't say anything. Oh, right. We go out. We get in the van. We're driving down the road. We're kind of, like, waiting, waiting. Finally, he's like, Oh, I'll take a picture. Oh, I should check something. And he's like, This. And you see him. F- <laughs> like starts freaking panic. out. Oh, my phone's gone. And I let it go for a while, really just to, to make it hurt. Oh, that and he's boring. like, We got to go back. And, and then, of course, <laughs> pull it go. out. You're like, Yeah. Uh, so another. Yeah, that- couple of junior varsity moves
0: very jv we got him out of the way so that the whole both of these events took place at the border and maybe that would be kind of a cool thing to ask you about um and and it was started you know holzel could not underscore enough the absolute necessity for keeping our mission under wraps for secrecy of this mission Um, and, you know, he, he was big on, he goes, don't tell anyone and you lie, constantly lie. And then you just ask for forgiveness later. But, but he felt as though if, if we made our mission public, the, that we never would have gotten our permits one, but we certainly would have been allowed up the mountain.
2: It, it's part of the story that, um, and I think it's a fairly well-established and accepted fact that the Chinese, Jamie calls them the Chinese officials, yeah don't want people meddling in the Mallory and Irvin mystery. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is a long and complicated story. and um, G- Yeah, give I, us the abridged I did, version. I did an yeah. interview you know, with, with the Telegraph recently in the UK Mm -hmm. and they, they, the, uh, the, the, the writer who's like putting the story together was, um, you know, asking me some questions and coming back after for more info. Hmm. And essentially what I said is, you know, this is, this is, this is a tricky, complicated story, a tiny bit of a minefield Mm-hmm. what i want to say about this is in the book i carefully constructed that story and it's not just okay here it is it's a thread that's woven through into. the entire book right right and it's and it's 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 tied into the geopolitics of of everest yeah and yeah. um i would say that it's tied into um now I'm drawing a blank, but I guess they call it the Hundred-Year Plan, mm-hmm. which is for China to supplant the U.S. as the world's dominant superpower a mm-hmm. hundred years from the date of the founding of the People's Republic of China, which was in 1949. Mm-hmm. So that'll be in 2049. Mm-hmm. By that point, they tend to they their intention is to kick our ass, mm-hmm. and um, and it's interesting that that Everest ties into that. Yeah, right. It ties into um, the new Silk Road, um, what they call the BRI, the Belt and Road Initiative, which is this massive like multi-trillion dollar infrastructure project Mm -hmm. which is going on um, in China. And Everest is being... Um, connected into Mm -hmm. this whole transportation network. So there's high-speed rail going from Beijing to Lhasa. It's going to be high-speed rail going from Lhasa to Shigatse, where they've built this mountaineering center, which we didn't get to see because we didn't go through there, but apparently it's the size of five Walmart super centers. Wow. Oh, my gosh. um, Paving the road right to base camp. Um, last season, when Everest was closed to foreigners, there was a Chinese expedition there. I heard yeah. that they were cleaning bodies off the route to kind of, you know, homogenize it a bit. And I also heard that they put in a 5G tower on the Wrong Book Glacier. 5G. Okay? Wow. We don't even have that here. They have it now in Everest. So oh my you can gosh. be, you know watching youtube videos and literally base camp yeah um and there's rumor and it's just rumor um that that the chinese have always wanted to put a uh, like cable car up to the north coal oh and my god obviously you know none of us want that um but it's all wow um, actually I've it's heard all that. it's all it's all part of the story and for the Chinese, well, I mean, unless you're sort of a student of Everest, you might not know that the the Mallory and Irvin route mm-hmm. was, wasn't officially climbed until 1960 by the Chinese. Yep, yeah, right. Mallory and Irvin may have done it. We don't know. That's what this is all about, obviously. Um, but we do know that officially it was climbed by the Chinese in 1960. It It's it's a little bit uh, controversial um, because they didn't get a photo when they were on the summit, but mm-hmm. I um, dissect all that in the book, mm-hmm. and I can say right here, right now, personally, I pretty much have no doubt, based on my research, that they did do it, and yeah. they deserve the credit for yep. what they did in 1960. And um, I've been told um, by sources in China that the um, the first ascent of the north face of Everest by the Chinese um, represents to them the same as what the moon landing does for us here. It's that significant. Wow. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a huge um, thing for them um, culturally and nationalistically and all of that. If Mallory and Irvin actually did it in 1924, you would have to at least put an asterisk next to that first ascent mm-hmm. and say, okay, yes, you're getting credit because you're the first ones to do it and live, but somebody else had stood on the summit before you. I mean, if that could ever be proven. Yep. And the same thing for the official first ascent of the mountain yeah. in 1953 right. by Tenzing Norgay and Edmund Hillary. Mm-hmm. You'd have to put an asterisk, and people, especially people who are in the know, like you know, real mountaineers, will quickly tell you that it doesn't count if you don't make it down yeah. alive. Yeah, And I believe that that is an idea that has merit yeah but you can't say that it doesn't count for anything because if somebody else stood up there before you you weren't actually the first technically to right. stand on the top so it matters and i i believe that that the chinese don't want people messing with that mm-hmm. Hosel told us that when we first met with him and that became kind of you know a guiding sort of principle in terms of the way that we went about this expedition mm-hmm. but since i've dug a lot more deeply into that and um and i i could say you know without a doubt that that's true mm-hmm. um, and they
0: they don't want a group of guys from the united states no less going there and and proving something that that changes their course of history. So don't take kindly to someone trying to solve that Mallory and Irvin mystery.
2: I I would say that at at some point in time that was true. Whether it's true right now, I don't know. Because there's more to the story um, in regards to the Chinese. Mm -hmm. And maybe that could be just sort of a teaser without unpacking it all here yeah Yeah. because it's kind of the ending um to to my book and i and i guess and and you you know all this but i think we can say that we learned some things that that people don't really know about this
0: okay so the this this would be and i i I do have to i want to ask you like two more things but Without disclosing it, would you say that there that the need to go back and search like is that we, if you will, in essence, kind of close the chapter, not that there wouldn't be things one might be able to discover. But in terms of the Sandy Irvin deal, do you think that we kind of closed the book or the chapter on that? Is that not we that it's over? Would you say, generally speaking? I would
2: say. Or specifically um, speaking. Myself. Yeah. Jochen Hemleb, who is the world's leading authority on this story, he is, more so yep. even than Holzel. Yep. Holzel. You. hmm. Jake Norton. Yep. Another of the most knowledgeable people.
0: Jamie.
2: Uh, Jamie. McGinnis. All of us believe that there is no further need to look for Irvin's body in the yellow band could it be somewhere else Mm -hmm. is there is there is there more to this yes is it still a mystery yes right um are there people that want to dig into this further at this very moment. Oh, yeah. One of them is sitting three feet away from me <laughs> <laughs> at this moment. Um, Jochen Hemleb is not done. He's not. I don't for think For me, Jochen personally... Is. Yeah. Um, I mean, you nev- never say never. Yeah. But uh, but it's a big world, and there's a lot of cool stuff in it. Yeah. yeah. So for me, personally... Um, I think that I'm done. Mm-hmm. One thing that you know that we could say here that I did not include in the book for a lot of complicated reasons, um, but I f- did find a bone. I found a a just a bare white bone that looked like it was an elbow joint, and it was right below Camp Three, so I probably found it around twenty-seven thousand feet, and and it was just the bone with the cartilage.
0: So how big was it? Like explain, like give me a descriptive of. It was. Of... It was
2: probably. It was probably an elbow joint, and it was. Like complete,
0: like from joint to joint, or was yes. it broken?
2: The the two bone, the two pieces of bone were probably, you know, three inches long you know, just alabaster white arm bone. So with, show me on your arm right now. With a joint. Where? Well, from like right. here to here. Okay, Just wow. e- little pieces of bone on either side of what looked like a joint. An elbow joint. I mean, joint. I'm not an anatomist, but I would say yeah. it could have been an elbow. And, um, and the thing that's interesting, I mean, the location doesn't really match up with the clues in this mystery, but, but. nor does it match up with, you know, people who have died, and, and just the simple fact that all the bodies that you see on, on the mountain, even Mallory's, which you saw, they, they're they not totally broken up, mm-hmm. and they're in the clothing that they died in, and, mm-hmm. and, and people are remarkably well-preserved, and so, you know, we saw quite a few bodies when we were up high, as I'm sure you did when you were there, mm-hmm. and um, none of them were in this condition. And so that in itself suggested that maybe, maybe this is something. And um, we got to Camp Three. I took the bone off the pack. I stuck it in the uh, mesh pocket inside this abandoned tent that I stayed in. Wow. Went to the summit. Came down. I mean, you're you are whooped. Oh yeah. You are whooped after yeah. Summit Day. I mean, everybody was. And I laid in the tent. And everybody was packing up because we were hiking down the rest of the way, trying to get to the North Core or Advanced Base Camp. Yeah. And everybody left. And I think Jamie you know, was the last one and then Renan. And I was laying in there. I was just trying to like marshal my resources and get as much rest as I could. I mm-hmm. mean, I was doing okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it was beautiful, beautiful weather. It was totally okay. And finally, Jamie's like, well, see you later. <laughs> and then Renan's like, well, I'm leaving too. And, and I got all... up. I shoved as much stuff as I possibly could into my pack. Yeah. And I forgot to grab the bone. Amazing. So I didn't bring it down. And uh, it's just too much of a can of worms, really, yeah. for the story. I don't know what it is. It could be nothing. I also, you know, I, I don't know if it's, you know, might be considered by people disrespectful that I picked the bone up and that I didn't just leave it there. I yeah. saw a little white thing sticking out of the ground. And I went over and I dug it out mm. with my ski pole. But that said, when, when
0: tents are abandoned up at those high camps, it looked like a, you know, everybody's like, this is just tragic. Look at all the garbage up there. The Chinese go up and clean those camps. Like that, that, that tent's gone. Yeah.
2: Um,
0: the yeah. The Chinese
2: so... were up there last season. Last year. So, um, anyway, okay. it's, it's part of the mystery mm-hmm. um from conversations that i've had with jock he has told me that there is no um, dna from sandy Irvin. so so
0: we wouldn't necessarily but, know but i
2: but there i think there are other relatives from his family and i think yeah. i think people who are related maybe have similar dna right so i think it's possible man um and he has some ideas I know you've talked to him. Um, Jochen has also sent me an email about some artifacts that the Chinese have that he um, recently learned mm-hmm. about. I don't know if he's shared that with you. Little, but yeah. um, but there's more there. And, and so this is a great mystery. And it's just one of those mm. those stories where the deeper you dig into it, the more befuddling it becomes. Yeah. And, uh, and, and in a way, I think that's fitting, and I think it's right that the mystery endures because that's, um, you know, I think why all of us are, are so enthralled with this mm-hmm. and why it's so enduring is because we just don't know. And, mm-hmm. and, and human beings and, you know, people like you and I, are, tend to be pretty curious people yeah and um and uh we all love the challenge you know of yeah. of, of thinking about things that you know people haven't been able to figure out yet
3: mm-hmm.
0: um absolutely and uh all right as we kind of start to wrap this up um one important it to me it's really important to talk about it but uh, because of we we went and we had this team uh we one we had a team that as our group of guys our film team you said you know it, it was filled with soul there was like a lot of really really good dynamics on it and truly for me probably the most positive expedition team experience i've ever had um and and I, from the outside, people looking in, and I want to reference real briefly Renan's kind of side film project, The Ghosts Above. Um, there's a scene in that book when we told the Sherpa of the plan to go and search for Sandy Irvin. And it's a 20-something minute film. You can only tell so much of the story in there. It, people it just like everybody has an opinion about everest and they all like pointing their their little moral kind of up on their soapbox going you guys all you do is exploit and you should be ashamed of yourselves and i
2: don't that's not the case well i i i talk about this in in the book mm-hmm. and um and i i thought a lot about it and when when i got to that moment where it was time to leave the ropes if i was going to do this and i was going to go to the holzell spot i essentially had to defy lakba and lakba was telling me don't do it and i think that's what these people are um hold on yeah i want
0: to. to talk about that but i was actually meaning when we were in advanced base camp and we told them the story and they're like, if we don't go to the sun, forget it. Expedition over that. But, but, the, but leaving the okay, rope but, a little bit too. But the, so
2: what is the question? The regards- question is
0: more, I want to talk about leaving the rope and what you, what you experienced after you did that. But I meant more so as a team, they're like, how could you guys not have told them your plan? And then you tell them right before you leave advanced base camp to go up the mountain.
2: Yeah. That part. And, and it, and I mean, that's not the whole story and it's, it's, it's really, again, tricky and it's just, yeah. And it's sensitive, Mm -hmm. but we did tell them about the plan. Jamie swears that he did. Jamie's an upright guy. There's no way that he would say that he did if he didn't, um, um, we were all, everybody was in on it, and we were playing a little bit of a game in that there had to be certain appearances made to the Chinese. Mm-hmm. And that had a lot to do mm-hmm. with why people who did know, you know, didn't know. Yeah. Officially. Right. Um, What, you know, what was what was going on. I'm gonna jump in here because Mark and I
0: were talking about when he left the fixed ropes. This was during his descent from the summit of Mount Everest on May 31st, when he left those ropes to go look for Sandy Irvin's body at the precise location of the GPS coordinates. Mark's Sherpa was named Lokpa. He was the climbing leader of the Sherpa team, therefore ultimately our climbing leader one of the most respected and talented of the sherpa that i've ever met and that's who mark is speaking about when responding to the outside criticism of him going off the rope against the wishes of Lochbow, which you can see in the film Lost on Everest and read about in the book back to the interview
2: there's you got to be really careful with this stuff because yeah um, I, i'm going to because there's 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 parts of this story that uh they're just they're, tr- they're 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 tricky and they're mm-hmm. hard to tell. I yeah. mean, I think the thing that I would that I would like to say about people that I would like to say to people about this is that when I sat down with Lokba at the end of the expedition, he came and we talked for hours in the hotel and we debriefed everything in particular, mm-hmm. we debriefed that whole scene of you unclipping and
0: going to the search area
2: and people should know that there was kind of a tacit tacit agreement between lakba and i that he was officially telling me not to do it and then he's covered he's covered with the chinese exactly then we talked about it afterwards i mean we talked about all kinds of stuff and and you know and it I, I'm saying to Lokpa, hey dude, are we good? Yeah. And we're doing the G. I. Joe grip, handshake. Yep. We're good. He's saying no harm, no foul. Perfect. Everybody's covered. Lokpa and I are friends. Um so Yep. Yeah. Th- this this is all in the book, but there's there's elements and little details to the story that that didn't go into the film that um you know there's nuances to it there's only that, a, that so much you can do in a one pe- people hour people don't understand i mean that's the great thing about a book is it's much easier to uh to it, sort of reveal things in it, a more in a, in a more delicate way mm-hmm. and um and i do that in the book i mean i'm not going to say lock and i are like best buddies or anything no. like that but he and i are you're good you're good and the it's... reason i know we're good is because we sat down and talked about it all for several hours. I, it wasn't like it was just like, "Hey, see you, dude. Have yeah. have a good life." No, I um, remember
0: you were. That was one of the most important and kind so of we elements. we did it
2: we did a we did a very thorough debrief and um and we um agreed that everything is good. That's and we're fantastic. We're all cool. Yeah. And you know the the Chinese. In the end, they knew everything. They knew the whole deal. And I remember, you know, sitting in in the end, uh, at the end of the expedition with D Chen and some of the other guys in yeah. camp and kind of wondering, like, like, okay, yeah. is my next move to sort of head out onto, like, a Chinese, like, chain gang kind <laughs> of a situation? Yeah, right. And D right. Chen was just all high fives and hugs and congrats. And, I really liked that guy. And so He's there's very man. much sort of a a no harm no foul kind of thing Mm -hmm. going on here yeah you know i think it's interesting too is that you know for for my wife hampton you know i mean obviously she had concerns you know about everything that was going on with the sherpa but she, she was more concerned with just the idea of wow like that 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 seems like it might have been a really selfish thing that you did because you you, you took a lot of risk. Mm. And you're a father. I had a three-year-old at home. I have three other kids. Uh, ultimately, it comes down to the same thing that you were dealing with when you were trying to decide if you were still going to go or not. Mm-hmm. And I think you ultimately decided, I think part of you wanted to go and yeah. just say, screw it. But there was another part of you, the dad part, yeah. that said, I can't do it. Yeah and um and so you know i i i had that same moral dilemma up there when it right. was time to leave the ropes because if you slip when you're connected to the rope it's, fine. Yeah, you're just it's not a big deal yeah. but if you aren't connected to the rope and you slip and you could cuz you're you know you're way up there and, and you're yeah tired and you know and spacey totally and then and then um you know i mean i had to do some some real climbing, you know, some technical climbing. At least in one part, where I climbed down through this or two different places, where I climbed through little rock bands, where it was easy, but it was rock climbing with no yeah room, front points, room, and... room for error. Yeah. And and what I've said to uh, what I've said to Hampton and what I've said to other people is that yeah I I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know for sure that I could do it right and I mean nothing's a hundred percent but I was at 99 point whatever yeah with some other decimal points in there (laughs) and um and it was and it you know it was it was close to the edge but I didn't go over the edge and 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 climbers do stuff like that sometimes and it's what our whole trip was about it, it was it, it from the it, moment it... when you planted the seed in freiburg academy to Hoselle to going to england to going to that nasa test facility to see if the drones were going to work mm-hmm. at altitude flying them inside hypobaric Amazing. chambers Amazing. Um, Yeah. the the uh the altitude tent that i slept in the whole preparation right. everything the climb the day everest broke where we witnessed all the chaos and the drama that happened on may 22nd 23rd i mean there was a lot, a lot a lot of stuff that led up to that moment and um and the whole trip sort of kind of came down to it so so, so i don't i i don't second guess myself there and i think if i i think someone asked me this recently and I I actually said, you know what? I think if I went back, I'd search more thoroughly. Yeah, than right. Then I then I
0: did. I hear you. So can you like, without divulging everything, or without you know giving more away than you want to for the book? Can you what what did we were we were basically going to find to look for a clue that Tom Holzell had given us with the GPS coordinates? That that kind of corroborated with this slash in the side of the mountain that was taken on a photograph by Brad Washburn some decades before. And you, in essence, you were going back to that slash. Jamie had a distinct understanding of where that is because I think he had been in that vicinity before. Um, when you broke off that rope, I remember the, the footage of you looking at your GPS coordinates and as far as I'm concerned, you went to where you wanted to go. So can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you know, what happened? Would you rather leave that for the, for the readers to find out and maybe we can do an off the record and put it just for the history books or something?
2: Um, well, you know, part of the whole, you know, we were talking about the preamble to the story and sort of like the detective work that we did leading up to it, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it was already done by Hoselle. He'd been working on it for 40 years. Yeah, yeah. 40 years trying to figure it out. And, uh, and he, he came up with, I think, what you and I believe to be a very credible theory for where the body of, of Sandy Irvin might be located mm-hmm. on the mountain. And then he went a step further, and he got GPS coordinates. Crazy. The GPS coordinates, by the way, turned out to be wrong. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't know if you remember that, but yeah. they turned out to be wrong. <clears throat> um, but without those GPS coordinates, I don't know if you and I would have gone for that. But that turned yeah. it into this concrete thing <clears throat> this. where yeah. where I think we you know, we decided, and we made the blood pact, and we said, you know, we, we've got enough here. We've got a credible theory. We, we, uh, we think Hazell is reliable, mm-hmm. and that's one thing about that visit to him in Litchfield, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, we, we like went way out into outer space by the end of the night, <laughs> but, but Ozell, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he never missed a beat. I mean, yeah. even with the Woodruff, yeah, I mean, that... he was lucid, yeah. and articulate and and it was all just super tight and i was looking for the cracks yeah right and i never found one yeah no he's and he so, is and so like yeah anybody razor sharp. you know that maybe wants to kind of poke into it a bit or say oh, i don't know like this is pretty far fetched go and visit Hoselle. <laughs> let him lay it out for you try some woodrow. i was skeptical yeah um but i left feeling like it was it was a real thing and i think we based the whole trip on that i remember we called renan Mm -hmm. on our way home and we just said dude it's it's on yeah like we've got something here and um and so that was that was what it was all about the uh the interesting thing was that the gps coordinates were slightly off and the reason why is because the um the brad washburn map is perfect yeah but where the map where yeah the the you know the the coordinates of 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 that map where they were dropped into uh the actual like map datums of the time you mm-hmm. know you build a map for Everest ultimately that map has to sit within the bigger map mm-hmm. of the world and when it got positioned in there it was a little bit off, and I think the the um, datums for the two maps didn't match up Really, perfectly. And the huh. thing that's really and interesting. I've read the book, but the I, thing that's really interesting about that is that it 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 ties into the um, the the whole um, kind of story behind why the British wanted to climb Everest in the 1920s and how it was discovered. Mm-hmm. during the Great Trigonometrical Survey. And, the, and I write about this in uh, quite a bit of detail in the book, and I spent a lot of time dissecting it and trying to understand it. Um, but the, 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 one of the main purposes of the Great Trigonometrical Survey was to um, understand the, the true shape of the Earth. Mm. And there was a, a theory, and I guess it was postulated originally by Isaac Newton, that the that the earth is not a perfect sphere. Latitude and longitude at the time was based on the idea that it was. Yeah. But if it's not perfectly round, then and and what 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 Newton said was that the um that the earth is wider at the equator than it is um at the at the poles. At the poles, right. And that there's like kind of this squishing. Yeah and um and until they could figure out the exact degree of that deflection they couldn't really have accurate maps of the world wow and so huh and so so, so that's <clears throat> all just really fascinating stuff and i worked hard to explain all of that in a coherent way but it also ultimately ties into A modern-day Everest map and our GPS coordinates being Mm. slightly off Um, and I worked with one of the cartographers at at National Geographic to um, fix the little bit of distortion there to get the coordinates right more accurate and uh, and it was on my GPS it's still on my gps that Seriously. gps is sitting on my boat currently <laughs> but i have the coordinates and uh you know nobody else has to go there <laughs> because i did and and um and so so i you know i think that um you know there's 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 other places now and i think future expeditions if if there are going to be any should potentially be going up the main Rongbuk glacier Mm -hmm. and looking um looking into those gigantic crevasses at the base maybe flying drones up around in that zone Mm -hmm. and with global warming and the ice melting i think that you know the timing is is right you know for maybe some potential discoveries to be made there you Mm -hmm. know in the area at the base where where things you know might have gotten flushed down yep. off the mountain um and so i kind of i think maybe i mean if anybody's I, I i think you know this mystery endures and other people are going to pick this up i don't think any of us have any doubt about that yeah and um if someone forced me to go back and do it again that's what a, that's what yeah, i would that's what you go. that's what i would do
0: um yeah, Bradford Washburn always used to say, If you want to find Sandy Irvin you go to the the base of the, the mountain up the wrong book, directly up the wrong book and, and he swore by that.
2: But it's all it's all part of the mystery and it is you know, like I said, the more you try to peel it back, the more layers that you find and um that's why people like you and me, you know, Three something years now, but I think I'm gonna let it go. Yeah. But there's, <laughs> there's a, other fish to other fry. People yeah. who can't, you know, um, who just become obsessed. With well, this book, uh, you're yeah. trying to figure it out.
0: Yeah. yeah, well, well, this book, in my opinion, I I had the pleasure of being able to read it in the process of you, you know, kind of after that that major first draft with minor revisions, and along with Wade Davis's book. Which is a very different kind of book, indeed, about Mallory and Irvine. Um, this, to me, stands as a, a really above the many Everest books I've read, and and I think this is gonna this is gonna fuel a lot of a lot of people, you know, to become modern modern day sleuths to want to solve the mystery. And so that said, if if you had to. If you had to make a a gut call on it, did, what do you think Mallory and Irvin made it one or both made it to the summit of Everest before disappearing?
2: You know, if I if I was a betting man and I was forced to wager, and someone knew the truth, and the, and said you gotta you gotta wager on this, I would say that they that they did not make it, and I think anyone who's an expert on this would agree with that but the the point that i want to make because now i've gone pretty deep into this i i want to say that i don't believe that anyone knows for sure that they didn't and that is another little little kernel that um is really important which is that they could have done it Mm -hmm. and i think it's um, sort of arrogant of, of if people say they didn't do it mm-hmm. because they don't know. I think they're projecting a bit if they think they know a hundred percent because no one knows for sure mm-hmm. what happened. And if yeah, they were, right. if they were above the second step, and it's possible, there's mm-hmm. ways to get around it um you know there's there's a theory that they may have traversed on a little ledge down below it mm-hmm. I mean, I've mean, i looked at that terrain and it looks terrifying but <laughs> maybe it was just, filled the, with snow the or... point is we just yeah. can't say for sure that's not at a hundred percent and um and 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 that's kind of inspiring and ultimately you know there's other people out there you know Andy Pollitz maybe for example who I think is is much more willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. But that's kind of what's cool about it, is that everybody can sort of see it the way that they want to because we don't know. Mm-hmm. And, we don't. And, it's, right. and it's, it, it's inspiring to think about those what-ifs. But regardless, what we do know is that they were up at 28,000 feet or above, and they were still going up at that point. Incredible. And um, I mean, we're talking a climb that was decades before its time. At a, at yeah. a, at a, at a time when they were essentially inventing high altitude alpinism as they went. Because nobody had ever done anything like this before. Yeah. And as you dig deeper and deeper into that. And then you actually go to the mountain and follow in their footsteps, and wow. you see for yourself what it's like up there. Yeah, up there on the Northeast Ridge, um, it's it's a it's a really humbling, powerful thing to think about what those guys were doing with the equipment that they had, and the knowledge that they had, and the and the and the fact that the physiologists of the day had no idea if it was humanly possible with or without oxygen. Yeah, and so that um that's sort of the the real essence of the story is just the uh you know the the courage and the and the pluck and the grit or whatever you want to call it that those guys had all of them not just mallory and irvin but all of those those pioneering climbers and um you know i would say when i look you know, there's the classic picture of them all standing in base camp I, and I, I love looking at that picture yeah. because you can look yeah. into their eyes and you you can just kind of see their spirit but now having gone as deeply into this story as I have and written this book and and, and actually you know climbed mm-hmm. that route it it means even more to me and mm. I see more it's like I can feel their spirit mm. i call it the spirit of adventure and and mallory mallory called it the spirit of adventure and when i see that i i feel a connection mm. and it sounds cheesy but i mean not you, to me you get it like, yeah i mean it right. Like i really do yeah. and i feel i i feel connected to them through that spirit of adventure and i also feel connected To everyone else who has it, which I think is almost everyone in this world. And, you know, the people that will read this book, um, all my friends that I've climbed with over the years, basically everybody that I know, and all the people who have been trying to climb Everest ever since, Mm -hmm. the people who were there when we were, the people who will continue to, 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 uh, to try to climb to the highest point on earth and like you were saying early on you know they all they get kind of bagged on a lot of them yeah and us included because yeah because we're we're part of that club (laughs) right but um yeah when you see it for yourself when when you when you hang out with with these people and you see that spirit you realize it's actually a a beautiful thing Mm. and um And I'm so glad, you know, that 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 spirit is so strong inside of me Mm. and that I've really always had it ever since I was a kid um, because it has guided me, you know, down this path that I'm still on now.
0: As Mark and I wrapped up our conversation, he said he left it all out on the table on this project and that, quote, he could not have tried harder... He gave it everything he had, and if it came up short, it wasn't for lack of effort. Mark Sinnott's book, The Third Pole, Mystery, Obsession, and Death, is available beginning April 13th. Go to MarkSinnott.com for more information, or just Google Mark Sinnott, The Third Pole, and it will come up everywhere you look.
1: About to know how it feels now. Jones.
0: Thank you to the Wood Brothers and their management for the use of their song, Happiness Jones, for our theme song here on the HQ, and to their publicist, Kevin Calabro, for helping make it all happen. If you'd like a free, downloadable PDF of The Happiness Quotient's A Course in Happiness, visit me at patreon.com slash the For more information about me, to inquire about personal coaching or public speaking, whether in person or virtually, please visit eyesopenproductions.com or write me anytime at tom.dharma.pollard at gmail.com. Remember, that which we most want to find can be discovered in the place where we least want to look. And the deeper and darker the well, the brighter the light we will discover. Do not curse the dark cloud. The rain inside may very well turn your garden green. Thank you for visiting the Happiness Quotient. I will see you all real soon.